There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plushcare. Plushcare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, welcome to The Kindness Podcast. In this episode, I sat down with rising star and actor Jeffrey Newland. In the episode, Jeffrey opens up about his early childhood and how living with an alcoholic and workaholic father shaped his life. We talk about kindness in the film industry. We talk about how being true and being honest to yourself will allow you to live a better life. He's vulnerable in this. He's open in this. He certainly is kind in this. My name's Tim Bosworth, and this is The Kindest Podcast. Hi, welcome to The Kindest Podcast. My guest today is an award-winning actor, voiceover artist. You would have heard his work uh, with leading brands that he's worked for in the past, uh, from Google, the BBC, Apple, Bentley Cars, and many, many more. He's due to appear in the uh, book adaptation of Flowers in the Attic, which is a 1979 gothic novel. He's currently in 12 episodes of Coronation Street, which is probably one of the longest standing uh, soap operas in British TV. He's currently working on a feature film and working on a comedy podcast. Jeffrey Newland, welcome to Kindness Podcast. Hi, Tim. Thanks. Thanks for having me. How are you, buddy? Oh, you know, I'm really good. Yeah. I'm, really good. I'm excited. I'm maybe a bit nervous, but I'm all good. No need to be. No need to be. So when we recorded this, it was a February. So the February the 8th, 2000, 2022, 2022. Uh, pretty sort of miserable out there, but we've had a sort of pretty tough two years of it, I think, to be fair, you know, with, with COVID going on and, yeah. and everything going on. Um, so this is now... Um, I think number, I should know this, probably episode number nine, I think number nine or ten. Um, I shall I'll look back and confirm that. But what I've learned in doing so, and in terms of what I wanted to achieve from the episodes, was to get an understanding of what does kindness mean? And having spoken to individuals from the business sector, from the wellness space, I think, and I hope with this episode, there's going to be some real resonance in terms of how we approach 2022 and certainly from an actor's perspective 
Um, I wanted to start with a quote. I wanted to um, get your thoughts on that. And it's the, the, the quote by Shakespeare about uh, the idea that the whole world is a stage and, and the men and women are, are merely players in that. Um, where did this uh, interest and say, passion uh, or intrigue come in terms of acting come from for you? Okay, um, I think it's weird. It's I, I think I sort of fell into being an actor from a very young age. I think actors. I. It feels like there's there's typically something in childhood which has led someone to being an actor. There's an absolute ton of actors who are either only children or they've had some sort of trauma or they um, are middle children um, and they, for whatever reason, have had a need to express themselves through drama and through um, role play and make-believe and it's been a driving force in their life and that is definitely, uh, it's definitely true for me. I had a really strange upbringing um in uh in scotland and uh i only child um i was born into a a pub so um my mum and dad were uh were working 24 7 mm-hmm. so i was an only child but minus the the only child attention so it was literally just me on my own entertaining myself and uh and that's not a sob story that you know like you know what you know as a child and that was I loved it and I still crave solace. Um, but I, I think that started me off on, on just messing around and role-playing and, and, and being a number of characters for myself and having to be my own source of entertainment because there was no one else there to be that for me. Um, and yeah, my, my upbringing, yeah, it was, it was really, really strange, uh, you know, and I, I think, and, and, Unusual, and I think spent a lot of time observing guests. I was in the hotel and in the pub that where I grew up. Um, uh, yeah. And did you find that um, w- so living within that environment? I'm, I'm sure there are people whose parents or family members either work in hospitality or in restaurants and pubs. The children of those individuals create a world for themselves around the environments that they're, they're working in. Did you find that you were creating environments and worlds for yourself being an only child? I think it was strange. I was very, very shy. And bizarrely, I think a lot of actors are incredibly shy. And the, the actual process of acting is a release from that shyness. Um, and so within this hotel, which was busy, very busy with people all over the place, people who always seemed to know me, even though I didn't know them. So there was a lot of like, oh, you've grown, oh, cheerfully, oh, look at... And I didn't know who these people were. Oh, gosh, is that we cheerfully now? Look at him. And I would I, I would be thinking, I have no... I, and, and shy little me wanted to run away and hide. So there was definitely a sense of needing to escape all of that, more than it almost being a world for me to play in. But there were definitely pockets of the, of the environment that I would escape to, mm-hmm. to play in. 
and a, a really overactive imagination. So a, a lot of the building I was scared of, you know, a lot of it, uh, you know, I, thinking that it was haunted or, you know, or there were monsters. Mm. And um, I, I, so it was a, a sort of a strange mix of, yes, it was definitely, it was definitely a playground and I would definitely create worlds there. And yet at the same time, because of that, I was al- almost afraid and there was a, an, an element of hiding and trying to find somewhere where I couldn't be seen, mm-hmm. which I know sounds counterintuitive for someone who's an actor, trying to find somewhere where you wouldn't be being observed. It, it's strange. It's um, Maybe there are actors out there who, who, want, to, um, who, who want to show off uh, who, and, and express themselves because of that. But I'm definitely someone who almost uh, expresses myself uh, to not to show off. And the, the idea of that almost repulses me. It's more to release. It's, almost, it's more of a freedom from myself mm-hmm. um, and a freedom from that shyness. So if I'm with a group of friends, I, you know, and they want me to do something, if I'm not in character, if I'm not in a role... I can't, I can't stand it. You know, I'm, I'm almost like, oh, no, 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 no. I don't, I, I don't want to do that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and so coming back to that idea of this, this, this world, I think it was, I would find small spaces and almost hide. I used to sort of slink around and whisper around, trying not to be seen, um, if that makes any sense. It does make sense. It does make sense. And I imagine as an only child... You have to form your own imaginary friends, your own imaginary spaces and places to escape to. Because if your parents or your peers or your family members work within these spaces, they're, yeah. they're busy. Yeah. And I imagine if your father's working within this space, you're, you're catching moments with him and only pockets of moments with him, I'm assuming. Yeah, it was, it was absolutely that. So, um, yeah, my, I mean, my, my, I guess my childhood got even more strange because my mum left when I was quite young and I stayed with my dad. Um, and my poor dad was, uh, I think the, the stress of the hotel and being an only parent got to him. Um, so he, uh, he suffered from bipolar. He was diagnosed. Um, it was manic, called manic depression in those days. Um, and he became an alcoholic. Um, and yet he was still a workaholic. He was a, a workaholic alcoholic. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so it was incredibly bizarre because I, I was sort of shipped off to boarding school at six. Um, and when I came home in the holidays, um, because I didn't have any friends, because I, my friends were at school, it really was a question of pockets of time with him, but very small pockets of time where he was often drunk or just sitting and thinking. It was almost like a, my life was in those pockets, was in parallel to his, as mm-hmm. opposed to actually connecting with him. My, my sort of enduring memory of him is it just him sitting in a chair with a, you know, with a, a drink on his stomach. He had a, he had a great big stomach mm-hmm. that I loved. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And he would rest his drink on top of that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was... And yet there were, there were still moments where, you know, I, I have, this is, again, this is not a sob story. I almost see it as a separate being, this young me. Um, and it, this was my world and I, I still loved it. I loved home. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it, so 
there were moments when, you know, we would go to the cinema and when he was very, very rarely free from the hotel. But when he was, you know, there would, there would be moments where we'd go sledging. We were up in Scotland, so the snow was amazing. Um, or we'd, we'd do something... We'd do something together and those play board games, play chess. Those mm. those were so precious because they were so minimal. Mm. Yeah, of course. And I imagine as a child at uh, that early age going to boarding school, how did you find the relationship from the separation from your, your father and then going to boarding school? How did you sort of, what were your coping mechanisms when going oh, to places like this? It was devastating, utterly devastating. Um, I remember for maybe even weeks before going back to school it would be like having a rock in your chest um just dread absolute dread and it's funny because my kids my kids now don't like going to school and i i really feel for them i mean part of me is just thinking you, you know you, i'm gonna see you in in six hours you know it's not gonna be six weeks <laughs> um but it's the same thing you know it's all relative isn't it um but yeah i i, I didn't cope i used to get horribly homesick um, the thing was, as soon as you got there, it's always the getting there. It's like the same with going for a run, isn't it? Getting there, getting out of the house, putting your trainers on, absolute nightmare. The second you start running, you're going. As soon as you arrive at boarding school and you're surrounded by all your friends, yes, there's moments of sadness, but it lifts, the whole thing lifts you. Mm-hmm. And so it's more the dread of going than actually the process of being there. Once you're there, you're in the flow of it mm-hmm. and you almost don't look back. That Perhaps that's the coping mechanism. Mm-hmm. I remember when I was first went, when I was yeah, six, my dad always said I didn't even turn around to say goodbye. And perhaps that was the, the, the coping me- mechanism. I think I compartmentalized. Mm-hmm. You, you're here now. That's another life. Compartmentalize that life. Mm-hmm. This is now this life get on with this life. I think perhaps that was how I, how I did it. Do you know, it's interesting you, you use the, the running analogy there and um, you, with acting, I think, just my own opinion, I think you're either running away from something or, or towards something, I think, in life. And, um, you know, as an actor and as, as a voiceover um, artist, you're, you're very much aware of framing these, these personas to either get someone to a place in their mind to take them away from somewhere. And it's interesting to talk about boarding school and, and not turning back and, and, and moving forward as your coping mechanism as well, I think is very interesting. Um, I want to, um, if you don't mind, take me back briefly to the relationship with your father and then how you then moved towards what your sort of your future choices were in terms of either education or how, what got you into sort of acting, if you don't mind. Okay, so um, again, I mean, although I... I I dreaded it and I, I hated so many elements of it. I was so lucky to be sent to a bloody boarding school. I mean, because this was my, it, I, I, I sometimes questioned whether my dad was protecting me from himself. Um, because obviously, you know, a, a, a manic, a, a bipolar alcoholic isn't a healthy, he was my only family, you know, in, in Scotland. And that's not the most healthy of role models. So, also, you know, this is you're talking about thousands of pounds education. Again, you know, I was, I was so fortunate. And one of the beauties of that education is the culture that you are enabled to be part of. So music, drama, um, art um, was such a big part of the schools that I went to that, uh, 
Yeah, it was a um, it was a production of The Tempest that um, my school were putting on, and I remember they uh, they it was an English class, and the the English teacher who was awesome, uh, Mr. Hampton, and he just went around the class saying, "Who do you want to be in this?" And I don't know why it was the, it was the opening of a new theatre at the school. It's a school called Moden Hall, and they opened this new theatre. And it was going to be the first production in this theatre. And for some reason, and it's so bizarre because I'm so, I'm so shy and normally shrink away. He said, what do you want to be in this? And I was like, I want a big part. And I don't know, wh- I don't know where that came from. And I wanted to be Caliban in The Tempest. Um, and I don't know if you're aware of this. I'm not, but, no. Oh, it's a brilliant part. It's a brilliant part. He's basically a, he's basically a monster. He's on this island. Um, and he's the, he's the sort of bastard son of a witch on the on the island uh and it's a real character actor's role uh, a real meaty part and uh i mean i remember the english teacher was shocked and i think he was sort of like uh are you, are you sure you want to do this part and I, I don't think he really wanted me to have it in all honesty and i was like yeah yeah i want it i want it and there were a lot of lines to learn um, you know, I, I, there was a phys- physical element to the role because he's a monster. So I had, sort of was dragging my leg behind me. So there was a lot going on for, I was 12 years old, 11, yeah, maybe 12 at the time. So there was a lot going on for a young kid who'd never acted before. And yeah, I remember when it came to the opening night, the the, the fear, uh, the, the my heart rate going and the smell of perfume in the air before going onto stage and the the buzz the hum the hubbub of the of the audience and then going out onto stage and all of that fear evaporating and just being in the moment it was intoxicating it, it absolutely intoxicating and that was it i knew i had to be an actor from that moment uh and then I've got diaries, Garfield diaries from when I was 12 years old saying, I want to be an actor. I, you know, I needed to be an actor. And it was funny because, again, that decision to say, I want to be in this play, I don't, I honestly have no idea where it came from. And yet, thank God I made that decision. Thank God I made that decision. So, um, what, sorry, what, yeah. what, did, um, what did you go on to then study? I'm assuming performing arts? No, because I ended up going to, uh, from Modenhall, which was a really lovely co-educational school. I went to a place called Sedba uh, in uh, the Yorkshire Dales, which was, it's quite harsh. The, the, the motto is Jura Vera Nutrix, stern nurse of men. And it's a, a rugby school. It's, you know, sports. And uh, again, there's, there's, you know, you, you, there's drama and music, and, but there was no drama A-level. There was, um, you know, it was... It was quite a traditional, well, a very traditional school, boys only, um, with with a, an ethos of sport at its heart. And I sort of backed away from drama at Sebba and sort of went into my shell again, as far as proper productions were concerned. But as far as being a class clown and having to, and, and making jokes and and doing voices and accents and impersonations that was just within me I think from being five or six and and those pockets in the hotel of going off and hiding and and entertaining entertaining myself it was coursing through my veins and so despite the fact I backed away 
from productions, I couldn't help who I who I was. And it's funny because I've you know talked to friends retrospectively about you know you know it, is it strange to you that I'm an actor because whilst at Seba there was there was no indication perhaps of me you know I wasn't in the a lot of the plays and so on. And no, they just thought it was, yeah, absolutely natural. And, and they completely, they just thought, yeah, it, it was a natural pro, uh, natural progress for me to, um, to become an actor from just who I was with them. So it's a natural process and people looking back and we go, well, it's obviously, yeah, I, could, I, could, I could have told you that. And, but you're saying that wasn't the sort of the educational path that you followed then? Definitely not. Right. Definitely not. So I did my GCSEs. I did, uh, I did a, you know, like a, I, I for, for some reason I'd always been, I, you know, this is, this was a, a massive mistake of mine. Um, I just saw school as a treadmill um, and I didn't ever apply myself. Um, all my reports were Jeffrey is an enigma Jeffrey doesn't, Jeffrey does not try. Good grief. Je- you know, like, oh yeah. I, I, I was in tears every time my report card came from school because my dad was spending a fortune and uh, he could get very, very angry. And all of my reports were saying, he does not try. He does not apply himself. Uh, I just saw it as something to get through. I would only ever do enough to pass because I just didn't, I didn't see the points of it. I just thought, okay, well, I'll just get through it. Um, but I did English uh, history, geography, and French A level. Um, well, the French was an AS level. Um, but, uh, and then, uh, I, I had an answer for everything at school. I think I was, because of maybe stuff at home, I was, I think I was a a bit of a rebellious teenager, never in a way that would, I was never someone who would get suspended or anything like nowhere near that sort of behavior. But I was someone who, was would always question teachers would always would always have an answer for everything was cheat would be cheeky and would push the rules would bend the rules cross the line um and i you know i remember te- a teacher saying you've always got an answer for everything um you should do law at university and i was so lost and had no idea what i was doing with my life or where I was going, my dad had said, you know, I'm not paying for you to, to do acting. You know, you, you've spent hundreds of thousands on your education. You're not doing that. Um, and I remember that conversation with the teacher. I thought, okay, I'll do a law degree. And wow. so, I, yeah, that was, that was genuinely it, which is, is crazy. You have an answer for everything. You should do law. Okay, I'll do law. So I did a law degree and became qualified as a barrister, which is again so weird. That feels like an entirely different me as well. Goodness. Uh, I, yeah, I have no idea. I, I was very, very, very lucky that I could do two hours of revision before an exam and do well in an exam. I really liked exams, um, although I didn't used to work through the year. It was just sort of like this, like cramming would work and then just sitting in an exam would really work for me for some for some reason um so i got through my law degree purely by that so as actors do they've got clearly got good memories that you can absorb that information quite quickly can yes you, can? I, you know i think I, I honestly think everyone has that ability i think i just i trusted that ability in myself and perhaps because i liked exams i think i liked the hyper-focus and I liked the pressure 
And I just thought it's an, ex- you know, it's a chance to just show what you know, rather than, I, I've had a couple of exams where you sort of, you, you, the fear hits you and then you, you're really up against it. And it's, a, it's not a fair uh, representation of a, a student. I mean, I get, I get that, you know, there's not many other ways of doing it, but, um, you know, there are some people who are so talented who hate exams and that's, that, that's not fair, is it? But um, yeah, no, I think it, yeah, I was, I think most people have that ability to sit down and just cram. And then if you trust that the information's there, I think it is. So you've qualified as a barrister. You've got this interest and passion in acting. So you're a barrister, then what? At what age are you at this stage? Oh God, I was 21, I think. Um, uh, and I'd had just the most amazing time at university because I was just playing and I'd been institutionalised 12 years at boarding school um, suddenly released onto the streets of, uh, it was in Newcastle, and just meeting all these people from all over, well, you know, like mostly the UK, obviously, in Newcastle, but uh, absolutely loved it. Uh, and um, I, uh, yeah, ended up, um, I had a, a girlfriend at the time and, and she lived in Leeds. And so, again, I, you know, I had, I was sort of rudderless, um, and I just thought, oh, okay, well, brilliant. I'll go and live with you in Leeds. So I moved down to Leeds and I, uh, I got a job somehow um, working for Eversheds, which was like the fifth biggest solicitors in the world at the time or some crazy thing like that. And it was just a paralegal um, position. And I think the whole idea with it is that, you know, you sort of, you you go through the motions and you work hard and you keep your head down and then you end up and they'll transfer you onto a solicitor's course. And I had no interest in being a solicitor, you know, the barrister side of it, at least there was an acting element, you know, you get on your feet and you're, you're in court. Um, but yeah, I had no interest again, I, because it was, it, there was no passion involved in it. I was just, you know, literally just rocking up to work. I was definitely not a good employee. I used to go to the cinema in my lunch break. You know, I was. I used to go to sleep in the toilets. I used to go to sleep in the library. I was. I was just lost. And thank God, my girlfriend at the time, Lindsay, had this idea for travelling around the world. Uh, and I was. I just jumped on board with that, and so saved everything I had, sold everything I had apart from my CDs or something crazy like that, and went off traveling um, around the world uh, for two and a half years, which was just, you know, my dad had always said he'd been to the university of life. And, and that for me was the, the university of life. Um, but yeah, uh, it, it, it was incredible. It, yeah. India, Nepal, Thailand, Laos, Cambodia, Vietnam, Indonesia, China, Singapore, Malaysia, you know, Australia, New Zealand, you know, all of these countries. It was it was absolutely extraordinary, especially Asia, you know, because the the culture was so alien alien to anything I'd ever. So, what sort of decade are we talking here then? So, a decade, uh, very early two thousand, sure, so two thousand and one. Sure, sure. yeah, yeah, it was two thousand and one. Wow, fantastic! Oh, it was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. Uh, and again, how lucky! How lucky to be able to do these things. Yeah, um, yeah, I, and. I, in that process of traveling, I was just able to sort of maybe discover myself a bit more. Uh, again, very, very lucky to have that time. Um, but yeah, it was a strange experience because um, my dad passed away while I was away traveling. Oh, right. Sorry uh, to hear that. Yeah, it was, uh, and that was 
pretty intense because I hadn't seen him for for two years or something. Um, and the last I'd seen of him was at the train station. And it was one of those moments, you know, when your parents sort of lingering, was like, dad, just go, just go. And uh, yeah. And so my, my sort of lasting impression of my dad was me trying to get him to, to go away. Right. <laughs> and then he, he died while I was away. Um, so I, I was living in Australia at the time and I flew back from Australia and I had this uh, pretty horrendous year um where i uh i was completely on my own having inherited his house uh and his dog and uh you know and and dealing with all the emotions of losing my dad um who's my you know obviously my primary carer and you know uh uh, um and feelings of guilt and remorse and just intent and i think i was spent a year being depressed just sort of I did the probate on my own and I was sort of selling his house on my own and and but every cloud has a silver lining and I'd bought a return ticket to Australia from when I discovered you know when when I found out my dad had died and a year to the day so that the ticket didn't expire I flew back to Australia to think what the hell I wanted to do with my life. And it was on that trip that I had this sort of uh, eureka moment where I realised that I could finally pursue my my dream of being an actor. Uh, and yeah, and it was suddenly became clear. It was like, it was an epiphany. It was like, oh my God, you know, I've always wanted to do this. And it was, uh, yeah, my dad's death, whilst it was incredibly hard, it was uh, it was also strangely liberating because he was such a force in my life um, that I was suddenly free from that um, and able to do what I really wanted to do. And you say free to to do what you wanted to do. Was that a sense of, how can I um, frame the question? Was it a sense that you'd been living under his shadow or that he was such a, a big part of your life? Um, and his emotions that went with it, that you were able to just, like you said, be yourself. So my dad as was a very complicated character. Um, obviously he, you know, dealing with alcoholism and, and manic depression is, is a lot for anyone. But he, uh, he also were, you know, would, there was a lot of emotional blackmail um, I think I, because I was his only son, I was his outlet and perhaps all his dreams were resting on me. And he was a self-made man. He, you know, he, my grandfather was a coal miner. My grandma um, was a cleaner and he obviously wanted this better life and perhaps put all of that pressure onto me and maybe in some ways loved me too much Um there was so much expectation on my shoulders. Um, and obviously, I, I, as well, I was, because I was his only son and he didn't have a wife, he didn't remarry. I was his outlet for his depression. And he used, you know, he used to say things to me that I understand why he said them because he had no one else to say them to. But as a child, you know, you're hearing, you know, getting a phone call from you, your dad telling you that he wants to kill himself and you f- 
phone calls with my dad saying, I'm so depressed, son, and and not being able to deal with, you know, thinking, I, you know, and almost running away from that as a child because that's your rock. And also I didn't have the emotional skills at that, the emotional intelligence at that age to be able to have the right answer for him. You know, my answer was, you know, having gone through depression myself, I I now know that this is not possible, but I used to just be like, come on, dad, can you not just, you know, pull yourself together and just get out there and just, and just, and, and, but you're clutching at straws, aren't you? So I had all of that to deal with and his expectation and, um, and his moods and he was, you know, on, he was being treated for his manic depression. He was on diazepam. So, you know, he he wasn't really, he wasn't the same person that I'd grown up with. So my, my relationship was, was quite strained with him at times. So his passing was, um, it was, yeah, it was intensely sad because I absolutely adored him. But at the same time, yeah, I, I, I felt this huge, huge weight off my shoulders. Mm. And I think that um, that's loss in general. No matter what the relationship you have with someone or something, that loss is loss. And, and then how we then deal with that loss is through external validation, it's through expression, whether that's through acting, et cetera, et cetera. And it's... It's fascinating to me how people deal with uh, with loss. You know, I, I've had loss myself. My, my father passed when I was very young as well, around the age of 11. And I know for sure that certainly framed who I am today in terms of my want to achieve or my want to be a better person or the person I think I should be. So it's interesting that you talk about how the fact that although the challenges that you had growing up and then through the eventual loss of your father gave you that freedom and opportunity to be able to just say, you know what, I'm going to be who I want to be. And it took that loss, unfortunately, to do that, um, which is a difficult for, for many people, I think, as well. And um, it does lead me, I suppose, on to that first question about about kindness, because you touched on a couple of things that I, I picked up on. One was the fact that when you last spoke to your dad, you like a parent or a teenager, you wanted to just not be with your parents or around them and whatever, dad, leave me alone, dad. And sort of the idea of pushing someone away which could be argued certainly is not kind. No. Then you've got the the idea of just creating those imaginary imaginary spaces and places when you were young as well, because the environments that you're around perhaps didn't give you the support and, and the, um, I suppose, the emotional buffer that one needs perhaps when growing up, which could be unkind as well. And so the question I ask you, Jeff, to start with is, is what does kindness actually mean to you? Well, it's de- you're absolutely right. It's definitely not pushing someone away. <laughs> um, it's funny because I, I thought about this and I think a, a, it's, it's quite nice sometimes to invert an idea and, and say, what, isn't ki- what is not kindness? So pushing someone away is not kindness. And if we think of the, if you think of the antonyms for kindness, so meanness, cruelty, animosity, intolerance, those words are so powerful that it really, I think it enables you to see the beauty of kindness. Because they're bandied, the words that kindness, the synonyms for kindness are bandied about so frequently, compassion, sympathy. But actually by looking at the antonyms, we, we realise how powerful they are. Because to be intolerant, to be 
mean, to be cruel. Nobody should accept any of those things. And I also wanted to look at uh, kindness through the lens of an actor because, you know, I thought maybe that's quite different in a way. Um, and kindness, I guess, is, so Meryl Streep says that uh, empathy is is at the heart of the actor's art. And what I think she means by that is, as an actor, you, you can't ever judge your characters. So, um, and I think there's a part, that, that that's a part of kindness, is being non-judgmental. Um, as an actor, you know, you're taught to walk a mile in your character's shoes. And by walking a mile in your character's shoes, there's a real element of compassion there and understanding to realise why why they make the choices they're making. Um, a huge part, perhaps one of the most important parts of acting is listening. So awareness as opposed to self-consciousness and really listening to, to what someone has to say um, and it's weird because if you learn your lines even a little bit, if you're really listening to what the other actors are saying or to what the other characters are saying on stage, your lines almost come naturally. Um, yeah, um, truth is an essential part of being an actor. You sort of strive for the truth. And by that, I mean honesty and openness and vulnerability and I think those are all essential components of kindness. Um, yeah, so I would say that... I, 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 looked at, I also looked at the etymology of kindness, um, kin, um, which is, you know, obviously relations, family, um, race, uh, PLUs, I guess, people like us. And, and then it's the act of making people feel that they belong. And I think that's, um, I think that's really special. I think that taking the time to make someone feel that they belong is incredibly powerful. Um, and all of these things I think have to do with time, taking time, Time to time to listen, time to care, time to see, uh, time to be honest, time to react. Um, and I think we're all we all feel like time flies away. You know, our day passes, even if there's even if we don't think we've got anything to do in that day, that we never seem to have enough time. Um, yeah. So that that is my response. <laughs> no, no, I love that. And so Kindness, I think, from an acting point of view, I think, is very interesting because what one sees on screen is perhaps different to what you see in reality. And by that I mean when you see an actor on screen, they're portraying a role or a character um, who has a certain set of behavioural traits, I would argue. Yet when you meet that individual, it's often said, oh, you're nothing like the character that you play or have played before. And going back to my original quote about Shakespeare, that yeah. the idea is that we're, you know, the world's a, a stage and we're all merely players in that. Yet anyone who's 
being an actor or who is an actor will tell you that the audition process can be incredibly, incredibly difficult, incredibly, incredibly unkind. Yes. And, and, and I wonder <laughs> if you've got any examples of just some of those situations where you've been in or any humorous stories you can think of where you've been to an audition and, um, and what, what it's actually uh, been like. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, so the, the audition process is a really really bizarre thing um and again it that time is a massive element again because you've only got a really small window of time to do your thing um i i uh nowadays thankfully most things are done by self-tape where you set up a camera and you record yourself so the audition process is yeah it's very difficult because you you walk in there and you meet the casting director and often the director and sometimes the producer and sometimes a whole load of other people who you know have no idea who they are and immediately you are betraying the character at the heart of, of what you're trying to do. And that's so you did you say betraying it. or portraying? No, betraying. Oh, right. Betraying. Okay. Because, you know, they're, they're like, oh, hello, darling, how are you? You know, um, how, have you had a good day? You know, what have you been up to recently? And so immediately you're, you're kind of being taken away from your focus, which is, you know, I just... I just want to focus on the character. I, you know, part of you almost wants to go in just in silence and just do the audition straight away. And it's like, I, I, I don't actually want to be taken away from those emotions and those in that connection. I, I just want to do the part, but obviously, you know, I don't want to be unkind. And I, I, you know, I, I, I think I'm probably a people pleaser. I want people to be happy. And so I, you know, I, I will open up and I'll be like, oh, do you know, I'm having, a, you know, I'm having a great day or like, oh, I was running a late earlier on and I managed to catch up. And and this is taking you miles away from the character frequently because your character very rarely is someone who's just like, oh, hi, yeah. <laughs> that wouldn't make for the most interesting drama in the world. But um, yeah, I've had some, I've had some very funny auditions where, um, you know, you do feel like some casting directors have such a, almost a prescriptive idea of what they want that they don't allow you to bring your art to the table and surely that is part of being an actor is your interpretation is equally as important no matter how wrong they might think that is as somebody else's interpretation and I have had yeah I have had casting directors go like no no darling he wouldn't he wouldn't do that would he and I'm thinking well Obviously, I think he would. Otherwise, I wouldn't have done it. But I, I like playing opposites. I guess that in da- the idea of inverting what kindness is, the uh, the idea of inverting a character and walking a mile in their shoes and getting to re- and getting to see their choices. And I think the reason why we try and not judge our characters, like I was saying earlier, is because then you might play the stereotype. And uh, yeah, I there's can't think of anything worse than playing a stereotype or playing a caricature. Um, but yeah, um, I, I had no idea. As far as a funny audition is concerned, I had one where I uh, I had to play. Had had I done any parkour? And the answer was definitely not. I have never done parkour. I don't know what I'm doing. And they asked me, "Well, can you do some? Can you do some in the room?" And I was like, "Well, I've never done it." And I, but I was like, "I'll give it a go." And I remember sort of like running up to a wall thinking, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put my foot on the wall. I'm going to run and jump. And I, like, I think I'm fairly athletic. And the idea was to push off from the wall with my foot and sort of turn in the air and land back down. <laughs> and I'm only laughing because um, 
I ran up to the wall and I realised when I got there that I didn't really know what I was going to do. <laughs> and so what I did is I just lifted my foot, tapped it against the wall and then turned in the other direction and ran back. And at this point, I, I sort of, I, you know, I got the giggles and I, I, I ended up laughing and I looked at the casting director and was like, I'm so, I'm so sorry. And she was laughing as well. And I was like, I was like, well, at least you've got something to keep you amused at, uh, at Christmas time. You know, when you look back at that, it's this, you, at the very least of, you know, you can have a, a funny showreel of terrible auditions and oh, that can be down there. Me. That's tickling me. That's the coming. I'm going to um, ask you to humour me for a moment, Jeff. Um, uh, you're sitting in a room full of your peers and your idols. The award for the best actor has been given, and it is yourself. You are about to go on stage to give your thanks your speech to the audience of your peers and your family. Uh, the only caveat, however, uh, which leads me on to my second question, which is if you were to die tomorrow, what would you do differently to be the kindest in the room? So you're very much aware of this situation that you're going to unfortunately die tomorrow. What's your best man, best actor speech like? So that's interesting because... I think if my if if my purpose is to be the kindest person in the room in that moment, I don't think I want to be up there giving a speech. Um, I think I would want to be giving my time to other people instead. I think I would want to spend the time listening to them. Um, I would want to spend my time supporting them. Uh, I'd want to spend my time, hopefully I might be able to make them laugh. Um, I'd love making people laugh. Who doesn't love making people laugh? Um, I think if I was just to stand up and make a speech, if I had to make that speech, if that was, I had no choice but to make that speech, I think I would go around each person and tell them that the quality I loved in them and, and tell them that it's okay. It's going to be all right. Um, you're amazing just as you are. Don't try and be anybody else. Be yourself. Be kind to yourself. Um, and, you know, maybe pass it on. Find the time to be kind to someone else as well, if I had to make that speech. But I, I would hope that I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to be making that speech. I think I'd want to be, sit down, get everyone around in a circle and just all talk together. Sure, yeah. sure. I think you will have that speech one day, I hope. And um, I think what is important is that the messages that we all tell ourselves. I was listening to um, a podcast yesterday and it was with uh, a podcast, an author uh, called, um, let me get this right, Jim Quick. And he was also speaking to Tony Robbins or Anthony Robbins. And they were talking about the three states that we all go through in order to create change. And it was really interesting about how in order to make these different changes and impacts, you need to have the right state you need to have the right, and get this right. So it was right state. Then it was the stories that we tell ourselves, and then it was the strategy of doing it. And so, as an actor, I imagine you have to put yourself into that state, into that, that mindset, if you like. You yeah. talked about going to auditions. You, you you don't want to go through the small talk because no. you're in the zone. You want to be in that state, yeah. that mindset, the the, um, the method acting, if you like approach. And then it's the stories that we we tell ourselves. Who am I in this moment? 
what is my purpose? What am I doing? And imagine as an actor, um, you go through that all the time for the role. And then the strategy, I'm assuming, is similar to the lines that you learn and how you learn them formulaically to then deliver to camera in terms of what you need and what you do. Um, I wonder if you could tell us and, and advise us, um, again, you know, we're listening to you to speak, uh, speaking now and, and as our audience is, is listening. What sort of tips could you give us in terms of how to deliver the perfect, I don't know, the, the perfect line, perfect pitch? I'm learning as I go with this one. I think sort of like little tips and tricks you could teach us in terms of how we can get into character, how we can uh, perhaps be the best versions of ourselves in, in a moment. Okay, that's that's a that's a funny one because I yeah I I had I did have an argument once with a, a um, an agent because I my point was that I think we're all actors. Um, I genuinely believe that you know we change who we are depending on who we are with. And you can still be true to yourself and change who you are depending on who you're with. You know, if, you, if you're with your in-laws or you're with your boss or you're with an employee or you're with your best mate, these are different versions of yourself. And I always, my, there's a number of different methods of acting. And my particular style is to, draw upon my experiences, my personal experiences, and put them into a character and to find the truth of that character with imagination and, yeah, and personal emotion. So, you know, if my character is, you know, is about to jump off a cliff or, 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 or if my, my character's particularly upset... I will imagine the circumstances they're going through and try and relate it to a situation in my life where I've been particularly upset. Um, in, in order to present the, the most... Is, so is the question to be the most truthful? I think I'm, I'm trying to get an idea of, you know, obviously acting, you're, you're portraying characters, and I yeah. think we, we all do that in some aspects of our lives. Um, and I was just wondering whether or not, you know, are there methods or strategies that I talked about that we can perhaps learn or, or teach ourselves to sort of get us through those difficult times? Well, I think, I think it's about being the, the, the truest form of you, to thine own self be true. I think it's about truly being yourself um, in, those situation, in, in those situations and being honest. I think honesty is usually the best, uh, mostly the best course of action, um, I think not giving yourself a hard time is a really, that's another form of being kind to yourself, not giving yourself a hard time, um, not judging yourself. I think, you know, we, we're so quick to know not to judge others or to try not, unju- try not to judge others, but we are so quick to judge ourselves, to, be, to have this little conversation in our heads while we're talking. Oh, what a stupid thing to say. Oh, I can't believe it. I think, I think if we... Do you know what? Actually, I think listening, like listening might be the answer to that. If you really listen to the other person, I think you can't help but give, present the best version of yourself. If you're really listening to what they have to say, I think you're going to give a, probably the right answer rather than having that conversation in your head all the time of like, oh, you know, what's the best thing to say? What's the most interesting thing to say? What's the funniest thing to say? You know, um, what's the thing to say that's not going to... You don't want to offend anyone, but yeah, what? You, rather than having all those, all those conversations, really listen, 
and give a truthful answer, being true to yourself. And I think, yeah, I think I think that's probably probably the best course of action for me. And it's difficult, I imagine, because it's quite hard to uh, sometimes, anyway, be truthful both to yourself and others. I imagine. Yeah. Very, very, you don't want to be, uh, and that's why it's mostly the best course of action. I think sometimes there is, there is always going to be a version of the truth, which I think is, is going to be a great course of action. You know, it, if there are, you know, for example, you, as you might go and see a production and for whatever reason, uh, as an actor, you might, I might go and see something in the theatre and for whatever reason you don't like it, it, it jars with you. And that can be, there's so many reasons that can be. It can be your own mood. Um, it can be because, you know, you, 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 it's brought up some memory that you, you, you are trying to suppress. Or it, it might not be, it might not gel properly that evening. However, there's going to be something in it that you do like. And so there is, you can be truthful and say, I love the costumes. You know, I love the lighting. I love the direction in that part. This part made me laugh. You know, I, you don't, I, I guess if you were being horribly truthful, you could say, oh, I really didn't like it. But I don't think that's helpful in the situation. I think you can be honest with someone about what you really did like. Uh, you know, I think you can still be honest and truthful in a way that isn't harmful to others mm. and isn't, off- isn't offensive. Agreed. Yeah, no, agreed, agreed. I'm thinking as you're, you're talking about then, I scribble something down there about just some of the films that I've seen over the years that have portrayed characters that perhaps are, from an actor's point of view, fantastic to play, but yet there's the anti-hero piece in there. Um, and uh, rather than me telling you mine, uh, sort of films that I, I think of, but I'd be interested to get what, what sort of films that jump out to you that have made you think, wow, that's one of my favourite films ever, or, you know, is there anything that sort of brings to mind? Oh, my God, there's so many. Um, I mean, immediately, There Will Be there will be Blood with Daniel Day-Lewis. Um, uh, I went to Bristol, I was very lucky to get into Bristol Big Theatre School, um, and uh, I went there, I had, a f- I got very, very luckily got into a few drama schools, and so I had a choice of which one to go to. And I chose Bristol Old Vic because Daniel Day-Lewis uh, went to Bristol Old Vic Theatre School. And uh, I absolutely love his, I mean, who doesn't love his performance in that form? It's so big. So for those who, who don't know, perhaps, Jeff, could you give us a brief synopsis of the, of the, uh, of the film, if you don't mind? Uh, it's a man who is consumed with his own ambition. He is a... Uh, I, I guess that he's a self-made man obsessed with f- finding oil, uh, obsessed with money, consumed by himself. He... Um, he's working very early on and he's working with a, a partner, uh, a fellow miner, and the fellow miner is in a tragic accident and dies. And he then takes on that miner's son as his own son. And the film is about his relationship with his son and and this this man, this sort of like accused perhaps, you know, pursuing the American dream in a Machiavellian way. You know, he had, uh, it's full of 
it, it's Johnny Greenwood from Radiohead who does the soundtrack. And the soundtrack, oh my God, the rhythm of it is the dun 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 It surges through the film. And there's a real rhythm to the film as you watch this man destroy himself in the pursuit of his dream. Um, absolutely. And, and, and Daniel Day-Lewis's performance in it is is massive. It's a very, very big character that he's playing. Um, and yeah, I would, I would argue it's still truthful. And, you know, I think a lot of actors you were consumed with this idea of truth and honesty. Uh, and yet truth can be big. It can be a big performance. I don't, you know, his performance doesn't jar with me, even though there are moments in it where he's, you know, he, there's a classic scene. I think he's in a bowling alley and he's explaining how he's stolen someone else's oil but he he does this <laughs> with a straw and with a milkshake, and uh, it's probably going to pop the levels on the mic. But it's like I drink your milkshake. I remember and, that. Uh, oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's just brilliant. It's so dramatic yeah. and so over the top. Mm. But that is the character he's portraying. That really stands out for me. I yeah. I love it. And at the other end of the scale much smaller performance. Timothy Chalamet in um, Call Me By Your Name. I absolutely, yeah. I just thought it was, it's beautiful, isn't it? Yes, yeah, very much so. His performance in it was extraordinary. Um, I, he's so open, so vulnerable that you just can't help be on the journey with him. And it's such a beautiful love story. Um, uh, yeah. Worth a watch. Yeah, definitely worth a watch. I'm trying to think, actually, which what films really resonate with me. I've... I do love um, the old um, gangster movies of the um, the Scorsese, the Scorsese oh, yeah. um, pieces of work. Just um, the, the language, the musical score, the kind of the wise guys, um, kind of attitude. Joe Pesci, you know, De Niro, fantastic. I do love a good comedy, um, but with the with the onset of um, I suppose streaming services uh, like Netflix and, and many other streaming services, people are now watching and consuming, I think, film more so now or television series yep. episodes more so now. And uh, do you think, is that a good thing? Do you think people watching TV is a good thing or is it just, again, escapism and not really getting to grips with the reality that we live? Ah, oh, do you know, it's so difficult. I think it may be... I think there is always we being kind to yourself is being is having downtime as well. I, it's finding time to relax um, and finding time for escapism. I think we all, for whatever reason, live really stressful lives, um, and television, film, theatre is such it's just such wonderful escapism. So, but it's all balance, isn't it? You know, you, if you're just watching television series all day long, or if you're staying up until two or three in the morning watching television, television series, I, I know that it takes a toll on me and the temptation is really there. I'm a real night owl I, and I don't sleep very well, but I will turn the television off at 11 o'clock at night and go to bed because I know that then the next day it, it's going to take a toll on me for the next day. So I, I, I mean... I try not to judge anyone. So, you know, if, if anyone, if people are just watching films and televisions, watching films and TV stuff all day long, then, you know, I, I think as long as they're being kind to themselves. But I, for me personally, I know that I can't do that. I don't watch 
I don't watch the television during the day because I have so much time. One of the beauties of being an actor is I have loads of time during the day to do whatever I want. Um, but I know that watching television, I feel like I would rather try and learn and grow than just put on the television. I will go and watch a film during the day because I do find inspiration in films. And again, I think maybe because it's, you know, the series, they, they hook you in, don't they? And they, they, you know, it's like, yeah, it's like seven series long and there's 15 episodes in each series. And it's like, that's like three weeks of your life gone. But yeah, I will, I will go and watch a, some film, a film in the day. And I could easily watch two films a day, every single day. Um, but yeah, I find inspiration in them and, and all that sort of thing. But yeah, I try and not consume too much television, but I definitely watch television every night, um, like Netflix. And so what's your uh, guilty pleasure then at the moment? At the moment, oh, I just watched something that I love called Archive 81, um, which is a really sort of strange, quite sort of trippy thing. Uh, a guy who is a um, who repairs film and he's asked to repair film a, a film for this uh for this strange company and the stuff that the, the the film starts bleeding into his life um i i recommend it actually that it's a maybe a bit clunky part of me thinks that maybe they they didn't have the biggest budget part of it feels like a student b movie but i i really love that about it i and it's really strange and incredibly atmospheric and haunting. Uh, I yeah, I, I indulged in that. Um, I'm also watching something called Arcane, um, which is a a cartoon series, which I'm absolutely loving as well. The, the voice acting in it is really really good. Who's that? Is it? Um, I don't know. I, Arcane. I don't know. I thought Batman then for a second. It's not. It's nothing to do with DC. No. Okay. No, not. Yeah. It's not DC. Um, it's League of Legends. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I I recommend it actually. You know, if you. It's, it's kind of a different kind of willing suspension of disbelief, isn't it? Watching a cartoon, but yeah. some of them are just absolutely brilliant. Um, yeah, it's good. I'm smirking to myself because my, <laughs> my guilty pleasure at the moment in, is um, Emily in Paris. Oh. <laughs> I'm supposed to be listening. It's, uh, my wife watches all this sort of tat and always, I don't know. It's just, I thought, no, not another one. And I'm hooked. <laughs> absolutely hooked and for anyone who's um, never heard of it it's basically an American um, I think marketing exec who has an American firm who has a, a subsidiary in France in Paris and she gets um, transferred over and it's the cultural differences that um, she experiences in working for a Parisian media social media marketing firm and just some of the cliches that go with French men French women the attitude one example would be Emily the, the main sort of character would say to her boss oh would, would, you know, would you like to go out for lunch and then the lady would say no it's fine I've had a cigarette you know just kind of very, very like bourgeois you know so it's um, very bougie in parts very out there almost Sex in the City meets Paris it was the guy who did Sex in the City oh was it yeah oh, okay. same producer I can yeah. see I can see that then yeah so definitely um, worth a watch but like, you know, I, I poo pooed it and then I got absolutely hooked <laughs> um, it's Phil Collins daughter is did it? you know that? Yep. I did not know that. Yep. Oh, wow. Okay, well, she plays, she plays it really well. Um, and then what else have I been watching recently? Um, it was Afterlife with Ricky Gervais, but it was the final season, um, which uh, I won't tell anyone to be about, um, for sure, but it's definitely worth a watch. Oh, it's uh, beautiful. For sure. It's um, funny, isn't it? And he's played many characters over the years, from Afterlife to Extras. 
um, to the office and um, he's really transformed himself as a stand-up comedian, which from when I originally um, remember him and his work. Um, but he's, I think he's very good at playing the character. Yeah. You know, um, and um, across all the different characters he's played, he, he plays it well, some of them not so kind. Yeah. Um, but I think that's the, the beauty of an actor, I think, uh, in part, is to portray the character um, in ways in which the audience may or may not actually like to start with. And it's yeah. that, that sort of journey piece, if you like, I think it's really important. Uh, Jeff, we're, we're coming to the, the final section of the, uh, of the show. Um, oh, I know, just starting to relax. No, no, we, 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 <laughs> can we could start again? Yeah, we, we could actually. And, and maybe we can frame this around a couple of other, other points I've got. But I'd like to get your, your take on this, if I may. We've, we've touched on, obviously, your thoughts on kindness and um, the idea of accepting, accepting your, uh, your award... Uh, for a Best Actor Award. But one of the final questions I normally ask our guests is as follows. What one piece of advice would you give somebody to live a kinder life? And you touched on a few elements within some yeah. of the responses that you've given. Um, it's really just to sort of frame, um, frame the show, but just so we've got sort of an idea of, you know, of who you are, which you know, I think we've got now. But just um, if you could just for a moment, just take a moment and then think about how you would be able to give someone, certainly with the life that you've lived, that one piece, of, that gem, that one piece of advice to live a kind of life. Well, okay, that's that's. The, so I was thinking initially that, um, well, you've listened to me, <laughs> which you know you deserve an award for having listened to me for this amount of time. I was going to say, find the time to really listen to someone in need. Um, I, as far, but as far as a gem. Do you know, I think my life changed because I I had loads of other stuff as well when I was growing up that, you know, is not healthy and no child should experience. And my life absolutely started to change for the better when I started being kind to myself. And through kindness to myself, I was able to allow others to love me the right way. I was, I, I suddenly started taking care of myself. I started exercising better, eating better. My little voice in my head that we all have going around was saying kinder things to me. I honestly, honestly think, find the time to be kind to yourself. And I think you might unlock the door to find time to be kinder to others as well. Because um, that's definitely worked for me. Jeffrey Newland, with that being said, you have been the kindest in the room. That is uh, certainly a, a soundbite to use on, on any advert, for sure, in terms of locking the key to kindness. I think that's really, really important. Um, I want to, um, if I can, just um, get our listeners to uh, reach out to you in any way. Um, what are you working on? What piece of work are you working on at the moment? Um, where can people find you and reach out to you? So I'm very lucky to be working at the moment. I, uh, I'm filming Coronation Street uh, tomorrow. Uh, so I'm off to Manchester. Um, Dr. Handy, I think it's the last one. Gutted. I mean, I, you know, I, I'm playing a consultant cardiologist and I, I'm not sure that there's, um, you know, that Coronation Street will, will need too many consultant cardiologists 
So, but uh, yeah, I've really enjoyed it. So yeah, I'm doing that tomorrow. And uh, yeah, Flowers in the Attic is out sometime, I think this year. Um, and uh, I'm not, I'm not huge on social media. You know, people can't really find, I try and, I, I try and be more in the moment than being on social media. And I, hey, this is no judgment as I've just been banging on about. I, you know, got each to their own. It just it doesn't really work for me, I, I, I'm more of a hideaway kind of a, a person. So in terms of finding me, you probably won't. <laughs> if you look at my Twitter or my Instagram, the last thing on there was like from before they were invented. Yeah, it's it's a long time ago and it's probably some awful thing. I, I never really know what to put. So it's probably like some picture of a tree and it's like probably got tree written underneath it. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, um, so you, you probably won't find me on there, but um yeah, watch, watch Coronation Street and watch me in that. <laughs> sure, sure. Jeff, it's been an absolute pleasure, buddy. Thanks for, uh, thanks for coming on. Thanks for oh. spending some time. And again, thanks for being the, uh, the kind of roommate. Thanks really for having share. me. Yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks, Jeff. Take oh, care. Cheers. All right, bye-bye. Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code buttery exclusions apply see site for details even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.